God is good, isn't he? So amazing. So glad to be with you guys. It's so awesome to see you in person right here with me. Thank you for joining us today. Glad you're here, girl. So glad you guys are with us. I want to share with you um, a lot, but we'll do it in a very brief amount of time as possible. Um, you know, for eight weeks I've been speaking to that camera right there, and you guys have been on the other side of it, and I want to say thank you for your faithfulness and staying with us and letting God speak to you in His Word. But I'm super excited that I can run around on the platform and look at people today. But there's one person that I'm very grateful to be looking at, and that's my beautiful bride over there. <laughs> you know, um, y'all been like quarantined for like eight weeks, but she's been since January. And uh, so grateful for God's gift to us that she's um, not only completed her 12 uh, weeks of restrictions and recovery from cancer surgery, but we had an MRI and you know she's uh, cancer free. And uh, <laughs> we recognize that, uh, you know, God has given us a gift of life and we are not taking it lightly and we understand that there are other people that didn't get that diagnosis. We have some of our friends that actually during that very same time frame, one of my very good friends, um, he didn't get that diagnosis. He was actually diagnosed two weeks after Kim and uh, he went to be with Jesus in a very quick time. And so we know that uh, not everybody gets the opportunity to continue. And there is coming a day that all of us will stop here on earth. And recognizing that, we want to take advantage of every moment God's given us together as a couple as we uh, cherish our relationship together, but the ministry that God's called us to do together. Uh, my wife doesn't come up here to talk to you. Um, she's more than happy to talk to people one-on-one. She's not a big public speaker or be on the platform. She's uncomfortable. But she's amazing to me, and I don't know how I would function without her. And I'm so grateful that, that God allowed me uh, the privilege of keeping his girl with me and uh, postponing her heavenly reward a little while longer. And I'm so grateful. And for those of you that haven't had that opportunity and you're by yourself, my heart is broken for you. Trust me. I walked down that road and I didn't know what the future held. And it is an incredible experience to walk through when you don't know what the outcome will be yet. But God's faithful, and we trust Him, and we trusted Him through that thing, and He's just allowed us another extension of life. And we don't know for how long or whatever He's doing. If I go first, we know one of us is checking out. We've asked Him, like, hey, maybe you could just come back and zap us together. We'd be totally cool with that, you know. Uh, but whatever it is, I just want you to know we trust Him, and I'm very grateful. God is so good. He's amazing. So no more of that. I want to talk to you about God's Word today. Thanks again for joining us online and uh, throughout this time, and we want to continue to do that, and uh, we have. But uh, if you were with us last Sunday and some of you maybe uh, spent the day with your mom, I'm going to ask you to tune into the last week's service. Uh, online, we always have our stuff. You can go to the uh, website and the app and get information there about what's going on. But you can also see the archive services. You don't have to watch a video. You don't have to see me. It's totally fine. I get it. You know, you can just listen on a podcast, but I want you to hear God's word. I want to touch on what God said to us last week to lay the platform for today. And that was the life of Joseph. What an incredible guy, man. If you don't know the story of Joseph, he is one of those like upper level, amazing guys in all of history. A 17-year-old young man whose integrity, faith in God, and trust in God and everything he did in his life never wavered. I mean, he is amazing. And that is without the Holy Spirit present in his heart. I just want you to know that. But God spoke to him in dreams. And we look at one of those dreams, or two of his dreams in Genesis last week. And now in his first dream, you know, he was 17 years old. And let's just picture it in your family dinner. And here's a 17-year-old who is second youngest of 12. Stands up and says, I had a dream. And in my dream, we were all in the fields working, and I had this big bundle of wheat, and it stood up, and all you guys bowed to it. And they're like, you know, idiot. Who does he think he is, you know? And uh, they're like, yeah, who's he? They, they couldn't stand him. Like, what do you think? We're going to bow to you, you little punk? Who do you think you are? Then it's another dinner. Dad and mom are there and everybody's there. And then Joe says, I had another dream. 
the sun, the moon, and 11 stars bowed to me. They're all sitting there like, I can't stand this kid. And dad says, really? You think your mom and I and all of us are going to bow to you? You know, in their culture, see, the eldest son got the reward and the blessing. And he was number 11 of 12. So he was like one of, you know how you are, you babies of the family. They forget about you and you just kind of do whatever you want in life, you know? Any babies here besides my wife? Y'all? Spoiled kids? I already know how y'all. So anyway, you know, it's like, yeah. And he was, he was favored, right? Okay, let's go on. Let's move it forward. Because the thing is, is that as Joseph lives his life in perfect integrity with God and with people around him, he did not allow his brother's uh, disrespect of him, his brothers talking. It says in the word of God, they could not say one kind word to him. Every time they interacted with him, they couldn't stand him. And they spoke down to him. Never changed who he was. Never changed his faith in God. Never changed how he lived. So they sold him as a slave. They took their opportunity to get rid of him like, who's going to bow to you now? And they sold him as a slave. Two and a half, three years, Joseph lives as a slave. I'm not re-preaching last week. It's important we get the foundation here. Remember, he had the dreams and the vision of being one of someone that they're bowing down to, someone of royalty, someone of personal importance in culture and in the world and in his family. And now he's a slave in Egypt, a foreign land. Potiphar, the owner of him, his wife tries to get him to sleep with her. He won't because he's a man of integrity, a man of faith, and he lives righteously. She accuses him of rape. He's imprisoned. Church, he has been a slave for two and a half, three years. He's in prison for 10, 11 years. So now we look at this, and from one day having this dream and vision of God and all this amazing stuff that's going to happen in his life, to being a slave, to being a prisoner, to being almost forgotten. And yet we find Joseph never changing in who he is, his trust in God, and the way that he lived his life. Never wavered. Never. So now, he has that dream the Pharaoh does, and Joseph gets called out of prison to interpret it, lifted up to the second rank in power, seven years of good stuff, seven years of famine, his brothers come to Egypt in the ninth year after he's out of prison. So now it's 20 plus years later. They don't know who he is when they come there. They think, you know, he's long gone forgotten. And they bow with their faces to the ground before him because he is the ruler of the land, fulfilling God's promise. Now I'm saying this to you today real quick, like because it took 20 some years for God's vision plan and purpose to come to pass 20 some years oftentimes when God gives us visions or revelation or promises we're expecting it today maybe tomorrow but if it's not here by the third day we think we got it wrong 20 some years later God fulfilled his promise and I want you to know God is good to his word always God is always good to his word so I, want to, I lay that foundation to you because what we're going to do right now is we want to look at Joseph's great-grandfather. And his name is Abraham. God made a covenant with this guy that is crazy amazing that is impacting your life and mine today and will continue to impact lives as long as God allows the earth to exist. When you go back to Gen- Genesis chapter 12, it speaks of the promise that God made to Abraham. Abraham had a relationship with God. He was a man of integrity. And here's what God's word says in Genesis 12. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you And curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you. That is one amazing covenant. That is an incredible promise from God. I want everyone here to hear this. Abraham is the father of the nation of Israel. 
That's why we should never speak negatively about the Jews or Israel. God's word, man. He said, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. The day our nation turns against Israel is the day we're done. This is not a political speech. It's a biblical promise. God has given this promise. And he says, I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. Now, let's go through this promise and look at something here. God says to Abraham, I'm going to give you a land and I'm going to show it to you. So he takes him up on the mountain and he says, Abraham, I want you to look around you. As far as your eye can see, I'm going to give this land to your descendants and I will make them a mighty nation. So here's Abraham, childless, 75 years old, looking around at all the land that he can see from the mountaintop. And God says, I'm giving it to your descendants. That land was in the Bible called Canaan, the promised land, modern day Palestine. Just pause for a minute. You hear that name on the news quite often. You know why there's such a war over there? God said, I'm giving it to you and your descendants. It belongs to Israel. This is not a political speech. It's a biblical speech. It's God's promise. That is your land and your descendants' land, and I give it to you. Now follow through. Let's see. God says, I'm going to make you a mighty nation, and a nation will rise from you. And Abraham, not only that, but I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your descendants, and all the world will be blessed through you. That's Jesus, in case you were wondering. So we look in the Scriptures, and we see that Abraham did not have a son for 25 more years. Remember how long Joseph was waiting for the promise to be fulfilled? A little over 20 years? Just want you to know God's not in a hurry. God says, I'm going to give you a son. He will be a son of promise. I will give him to you and to Sarah, your wife. Sarah was barren and could not have children. Abraham was 75 years old. They were both well past the age of having children. Therefore, in their culture, and if you study history, you'll know this is true, and it is, and you can look it up. It was common practice in the culture of their day that the house could give her maidservant to the husband to have a baby. And that when that child was born, it would rightfully belong to Abraham and Sarah. Therefore, 12 years later, since there was no other child coming in their eyes, Sarah says to Abraham, take Hagar, my handmaiden, have a baby with her, and that will be our son. Abraham says, okay, they have a child. His name is Ishmael. They're excited. They're happy. They're like, now we have an heir. I have a son. We have a son. Everything is going to be great. Problem is, he wasn't the son of promise from Sarah. Every time we try and interpret and fulfill God's promises for him, we screw it up. This is what happens, church. See, what happened then was Ishmael's growing up, and then God visits Abraham and says, Sarah's going to have a baby. Like, oh, Sarah's laughing like, "Ah, that'll never happen. I'm an old lady. God says, oh, yes, it will. You're having a baby. And I said I would bring the son of promise. And it is the one that I tell you is the son of promise will be the one that I fulfill my covenant through. But because I am God and I am good to my word, I will also make a nation of Ishmael because I promised that I would make a nation of your descendants. Therefore, Ishmael is not the son of promise. He is the son of culture. And the son of culture is the father of the Arabic nations. And the son of promise, Isaac, would be the father of Jacob who would become Israel, who would become the nation of Israel of covenant we have a problem in our world today between the Arabic nations and Israel and that problem is the fact that both of them claim to be descendants of Abraham and that they own the promise of God that's why there's war and conflict over Palestine that's why there's problems in the Middle East because both families are warring at who is indeed the rightful heir it will always be church again let's see what god's doing and what he's up to 
When God brings this child of promise, he says, I'm going to give it to you. His name means laughter because Sarah laughed when she was told she was going to have a baby and his name was Isaac. Isaac had a baby and his name was Jacob and God changed Jacob's name to Israel and he's the father of that nation. So God says, I'm going to give you a a child and then I'm going to bless you. So 25 years later, they have a boy of promise, Isaac. I'm going to give you all this land to your descendants. Guess what? 600 plus years later, his descendants move into that land. Did I say God's never in a hurry? 600 plus years later, God says to Abraham, look at this, I'm going to give this to your descendants. 25 years later, there's a kid. 600 years later, there's a nation moving in to possess that land. God is good to his word. Even though he's not in a hurry, he is good to his word. God is good to his promises. God says, I'm going to bless the world through you, Abraham. I'm going to bless everybody. It was 1,700 plus years later that Jesus came on the earth. God's not in a hurry. God said, I'm going to do this. God fulfilled every promise he said to Abraham. Now almost what? Five, 6,000 years ago. Whatever it is. God said, I'm going to do this. God has done what he said. When we look into the scriptures and we see the history of Israel under the, the slavery in Egypt, Exodus with Moses, they come to the promised land. They don't trust God. They're in the wilderness for 40 years. Then God appoints Joshua to take the people in. And they go in and they possess the land. Joshua makes this speech. Now I want you to hear it. The people of Israel are now living in the promised land. Promise fulfilled. Here's his words, Joshua 21. So the Lord gave to Israel all the land he had sworn to give their ancestors. And they took possession of it and settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had solemnly promised their ancestors. None of their enemies could stand against them, for the Lord helped them conquer all their enemies. Not a single one of all the good promises the Lord had given to the family of Israel was left unfulfilled. Everything he had spoken came true. Hallelujah. Come on, you guys should be clapping right there. We should be shouting and praising God. Look, it may have been 600 years later, but every single thing God said he would do, he did. And, and Joshua is saying, hey, everybody, wake up. Look around you. We've been talking about this stuff for generations, that this was going to happen someday, someday, someday. Today's the day. Look around you. God is good. I want everyone in this room, everybody online, everybody everywhere to understand that God is always good to his word. His promises are real, and we need to own them. We also need to note that God's promises are not just for blessing. God promises judgment and correction too. (laughs) Yeah, we're not really fond of those promises, but they're just as real as the blessings. See, as we look back in history, we know that Israel was a continual rebellious child. Trust God. God would bless. All the good things he said would happen, happen. Then they get confident in all the good stuff, and they forget about God. God brings judgment. So God says, I'm going to bring this against you, right? All right, let's move forward a little bit here and see what happens. So here's Joshua. He's about to die now. He's going to make one last speech to the people. We're going to read it in Joshua 23. Soon I will die going the way of everything on earth. Deep in your hearts you know that every promise of the Lord your God has come true. Not a single one has failed. Man, I'm going to read some more, but you've got to let that settle into you because everybody here, if you have a relationship with God, deep inside your heart, you know what God has said, and you know it's good. God's good to his word, and he says, deep inside your heart, you know this is true. God has fulfilled everything he said he would fulfill. Now let's keep going because his speech is not over. Because there's a but right there. 
But as surely as the Lord your God has given you the good things he promised, he will also bring disaster on you if you disobey him. He will completely destroy you from this good land he has given you. If you break the covenant of the Lord your God by worshiping and serving other gods, his anger will burn against you and you will quickly vanish from the land he has given you. Wow. Don't hear a lot of devotionals on that topic. After the death of Joshua, Israelites in that generation follow God, but another generation follows, doesn't remember God. And they begin this rebellion against God and following the idols of the land. The book that follows Joshua is the book of Judges. It's plural. And the reason why it's called Judges is because as the people were following God, they would turn their backs on God. God would bring their enemies against them just like he promised. They would be put into slavery. They would have oppressors. They would be heavily taxed. They would be taken slaves and captives again. They lived in the land under a great oppression. During this time, they would cry out to God, and God is good to his word. Church, please hear me. God said, I will hear when you call to me, and I will bless you. And therefore, he would raise up a judge who would come as their deliverer, and they would be delivered from the hands of the oppressors, and God would bless them again, and they would prosper. And again, as soon as they got comfortable in life, down the tubes they go turn their back on God, and this continued over and over again. Now, they, it comes in the Bible, and I'm not going to preach the whole Bible, so don't get nervous. I've been waiting for you guys to show up, so I could like just, you know. But <laughs> don't get nervous, all right? Um, here's what happens now. Samuel is the prophet, priest, man of God, and he is an amazing character of God. If you read the Bible, another one of those just devout, godly men. And the people complain to him and say, we want a king. Everybody else is a king. We don't have a king. You're going to die someday. We want a king. God says, okay, they're rejecting me. Give them a king. Saul gets lifted up. He looks like a king. He's head and shoulders taller than everybody. He's handsome, strong, good-looking dude. But he turns his back on God. God sends the prophet Samuel to him and says, You disobeyed me, therefore I reject you. You will no longer be the king of my, my people. And he sends Samuel to a house of Jesse. You know the story of David. Here's a little boy that didn't even get invited in the house. Seventh son, youngest again. Doesn't even get called in the house when Samuel comes by his own dad. But God sends for him, anoints him to be the next king of Israel. Church, I want you to know this. That even though David was anointed to be the next king, killed Goliath, became a mighty warrior in the army where people were singing his praises, he too ran for his life for almost seven years while he was anointed the next king. Okay, just, just let that stick with you. David becomes king as Saul is killed in war. The nation of Israel rises in power. They are now a world power. All the enemies have been put under his feet. David is a man of integrity, a man of God. God says, David, it is through you that I want to affirm my covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will establish your throne forever, for there is one that will rise from you. And he was speaking of Jesus, that will sit upon the throne of David forever. David is humbled and says, who am I that you would bless me like this? God says, I will do it. Church, the nation is strong. David is about to die. He turns it over to his son Solomon. There has never been a day in the history of Israel where they were more powerful, their economy stronger, wealth everywhere, everybody's working, Everything's amazing. The nation is strong and mighty. And Solomon turns his back on God. In the midst of the prosperity, the blessing, the anointing, the calling, the presence of God, 
the temple that was built for the glory of God, people coming from all around the world to see the city of Jerusalem and the temple that, that Solomon had built for God. And people are coming from all over to see this. And Solomon turns his heart towards women and away from God. And God speaks to the prophet and says, my judgment is coming. And it did. He said, Solomon, I'm going to let you sit on the throne until you die because of my promise to David but I'm splitting the nation underneath your son. Israel and Judah split. Ten and a half tribes of the northern kingdom of Israel. Southern kingdom is Judah. Two and a half tribes with the city of Jerusalem and the temple. This is all important if you stay with me. It's so important. God says, I'm going to do this. And he did. God's good to his word. God sent warnings to the prophets, told the people to repent. They would not hear God's word. Judgment fell. So now, Israel, now that they're their own nation away from Judah, the Jews, those that possess the covenant promise from Abraham and David, are existing here. Israel's there. They turn immediately to worship idols. Immediately. Turn their back on God. God sends prophets warning them that his judgment's coming. 721 B.C., you can look up your history. The king of Assyria brings forth his armies. They lay siege to the capital city of Israel, Samaria. They completely annihilate and remove Israel from the face of the planet. Never to be remembered. They're gone. The southern kingdom of Judah is all cocky still. We have the temple. We know God. We know our promises. We're descendants of Abraham. We're descendants of David. We're fine. God's removed those pagans. We don't care about Israel. Those tribes, they weren't part of us anyway. We're all good. God sends prophets to them and says, Look, I want you to know I will wipe you out the same way. I promised you that my judgment would come if you turn your back on me. And the people were like, We've got God's house. We bear God's name. It doesn't matter how we live that we're not doing what he said. We know we're secure because we are descendants of Abraham. False security in who they think they were. See, they had their identity in their heritage and not their God. And they attached their God to their heritage. And they owned all the good promises of God and neglected and dismissed the judgment promises of God. So they think they're unbeatable. God warns them through the prophets. Jeremiah and Ezekiel are in this day. Ezekiel is an amazing, awesome prophet. You should read his book. It's crazy. God asked him to do some just wild stuff. I mean, the dude, it's crazy. You just read his book. It's so cool. I mean, he made little claymation stuff and had wars that he acted out on the streets. He laid in the street on one side for over a year telling people God's judgment was coming. I mean, he did some crazy stuff, all because God told him to. All right? But God continued to speak through Ezekiel that judgment's coming. If you read the book of Ezekiel, you'll know this. The people of Judah loved to watch him preach. They loved to hear his messages. They liked to see the crazy things he did, but they didn't listen to the message. And God told Ezekiel, look, they're coming because they like to watch you. They're not hearing a word you're saying. Here's a word from God through the prophet Ezekiel chapter 12. Listen. Again, a message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, you've heard that proverb they quote in Israel. Time passes and prophecies come to nothing. That was the proverb that was on the streets. See, they kept hearing these prophets saying judgment was coming, but there was no judgment. So they developed a saying in the streets. Time passes and prophecies come to nothing. God says, tell the people. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I will put an end to this proverb. And you will stop quoting it. Now, give them this new proverb to place, replace the old one. The time has come for every prophecy to be fulfilled. 
There will be no more false visions and flattering predictions in Israel. For I am the Lord. If I say it, it will happen. There will be no more delays, you rebels of Israel. I will fulfill my threat of destruction in your own lifetime. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. God, he is amazing. He's good to his word. You don't hear a lot of preaching about this message. This is God speaking. He's like, look, you self-secure, self-righteous, claiming to be something you're not. I'm God. I know. And you're going to pay. Then the message came to me from the Lord. Verse 27. Son of man, the people of Israel are saying, he's talking about the distant future. His visions won't come true for a long, long time. You see that, like, absence of presence of me? Yeah, God's going to do something, but someday, not now. God says this in verse 28, Therefore tell them, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, no more delay. I will now do everything I have threatened. I, the Sovereign Lord, have spoken. See, what was taking place during this time was God was calling people to repent, to change their hearts, to change their ways, to turn to Him. And they were not. And so God says, I'm done. In 604, 605 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army, who had defeated the Assyrians, and they were now the world empire's strong army and nation, come and march against Judah. They besieged the city, and they captured Jerusalem. They come in through the gates. They don't destroy the city, and they don't destroy the temple. They come in and take people as captives. Included in those, you already know these guys, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and the prophet Ezekiel are all taken in the first wave as captives. Taken to Babylon, where they faithfully served God in the lands of pagans. Ezekiel continues to preach and prophesy but God left a prophet in Jerusalem and his name is Jeremiah Jeremiah continues to preach to the people listen you got to hear this because it's just crazy looking back the people in Jerusalem even after the besieging of the city even now that they are now vassals and paying taxes and under the authority of Babylon they say well see God didn't destroy us we're good. He took all the bad ones and took them out of here. Now we're self-secure and fine. Everything's great. See, we told you, none of that stuff's going to come to pass. Jeremiah is preaching to him, saying, look, you need to repent. You need to serve the king of Babylon. God has appointed this moment. You are not to turn your backs on him. Babylonian king had appointed a king in the, in the place of Jerusalem, and he rises up and says, we're not going to serve Babylon. You know how ignorant we are in our self-righteousness? Well, God's good to his word, man. He's warned them over and over again. As Jeremiah preaches to them, the king takes Jeremiah and puts him in prison. It's like, dude, you've got to stop preaching your message. It's a downer. Everybody's thinking that we've got to surrender, and we're not surrendering because we're God's people. We're fine. Well, King Nebuchadnezzar brings his army back. Jeremiah has warned them. If you read his book, he says, look, utter destruction is coming. God is going to destroy the city. The temple of God will be destroyed. You must repent and serve the king and spare your lives. They don't listen. 586-87 B.C. King Nebuchadnezzar brings his army. This time there's no captives. There's no mercy. The city of Jerusalem and the land of Judah is in submission they destroy the capital city, destroy the temple of God, that place of holiness. Carry all the stuff that was dedicated to God away into the foreign pagan land. See, God's good to his word. He's not worried about stuff. God's concerned about obedience. And they were not obedient. In this siege, Jeremiah was in prison. So when they take everybody, Jeremiah is also taken out of the prison and taken with the captives heading to Babylon. 
The word gets out that he was preaching for them to surrender and be submissive to the king of Babylon. The captain comes to him and says, Jeremiah, you're a free man. Go back home. There's a few scattered people still in Jerusalem. Jeremiah comes back and preaches to them. Listen, God says, stay here, serve him, and God will take care of you. He's going to bring everyone back in 70 years. If you want to live here, God says he'll protect you. They're like, no way. We don't trust you, your message, or nothing. We're going to go to Egypt where we can be saved. God speaks to Jeremiah and says, tell them, don't go there or the sword will follow. Those that are there take Jeremiah as a captive and flee to Egypt. Guess who marches against Egypt? King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army. And those who fled Jerusalem were killed in Egypt. It's amazing. As you look at the disobedience of people, because God's promises are there. Now I want to read to you Lamentations chapter 2. The prophet Jeremiah wrote this book of Lamentations. Lamentations is the lamenting, the prayers, the brokenness, as he saw the destruction that came upon God's people in the city, the temple of God, the God he worshipped, who he preached for. Verse 17, But it is the Lord who did just as he planned. He has fulfilled the promises of disaster he made long ago. Did you hear that? God has fulfilled his promises of disaster. I, I, I'm not being sarcastic. I mean, I'm the same way as you, but look, uh, I don't think anybody's got highlighted in their Bibles the promises of disaster. We highlight the promises of blessing. Nobody would highlight the promises of disaster, but they're just as real. They are just as real. And God's good to his word. He has. Listen, it wasn't Nebuchadnezzar. It wasn't the Babylonian army. And Jeremiah makes this proclamation there. He, God, has destroyed Jerusalem without mercy. God did it. He has caused her enemies to gloat over her and has given them over. Given her over. God's the one that did it. You know why? Because God said he would. God said, I will do this if you don't do what I say. I know this is a depressing message. It's your first Sunday back, but don't, don't, don't let it beat you up. This is God's truth, man. And if you're feeling a little nervous and sick inside, that's conviction, and maybe you need to repent of something before it's over. Listen. We know God's good to his word, don't we, church? We know he is. But he's good to his word, be they deliverance and blessing or warning and judgment. God is good to his word. The promises of God are always contingent promises. When you read your Bible, please hear this. God's promises are given to us but there's always a response required of the recipient of the promise. God says, I will if you. Always. Now, it doesn't have to be in that exact grammar, but when you read the promises, that's how they're worded. So God is expecting a response by the hearer to the promise. And he tells us this, on the blessing side and the curse side. Listen, his blessings of, of blessing are given in accordance with obedience, and his blessing of judgment, and that's what I said, the blessing of judgment, the promise, is based on disobedience. See, God's people always have owned the promises of blessing. That was the problem in the day of Jeremiah and Ezekiel. All they held on to was the promise of blessing, not the promise of judgment. And because they felt so secure in the blessing, they didn't care how they lived. They didn't think it mattered how they lived. They didn't care how they treated God, how they worshipped God. They began to worship God according to their own standards, cultural standards, incorporating other idol worship in their worship of God. See, 
what they saw was we've got this promise of this good God and he is good and we're going to live in the promise of the goodness of God and they completely ignored the promises of judgment I am bringing this message to you from God today because I believe that the modern church has adopted some of the same mentality that we've owned the promises of God in grace and mercy so strongly that we forget that he's still a God of judgment and that there's an expectation for his people to live accordingly and when we don't live accordingly God's judgment comes you know Peter said that judgment must begin at the house of God <laughs> starts with us okay I want to read the golden text of the Bible to you. John chapter 3. You know the verse, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. All good news so far. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. First, I want you to know, right here in the context of this word is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant that God made with him, that through you I will bless the whole world. For God so loved the world that whoever would believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life. Do you see? God is good to his word. He's saying anybody and everybody can accept this, enter into relationship with me, and my covenant with you is made real. Obedience. Right? Yeah, man, God is good, isn't he? The promise of the blessing and eternal life are your belief in Jesus Christ as your Savior. But God says also in the very same promise that there is a promise of eternal separation, damnation, condemnation if you reject Him. See the promises? They are contingent upon our reaction to. So God's promises are conditional. God's not like wavering. God's Established that his word is truth and it is good. Period. God's good to his word. God is good to his word. Therefore, there will be people that go to hell. Not because God sent them there, but because they chose to go there because God's good to his word. That's the scriptures. I want to read you in 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter writing to the church, listen to these words. I want you to remember what the holy prophets said long ago and what our Lord and Savior commanded through your apostles. Here's G Peter saying, like, look, this is a message that's been going on for a long time now. Old prophets, Old Testament, Old Covenant. They were speaking it. He said Jesus spoke it. Now we, the apostles, are speaking it. In other words, this message is God's message from the beginning follow it now most importantly I want to remind you that in the last days scoffers will come mocking the truth and following their own desires they will say what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again from before the times of our ancestors everything has remained the same since the world was first created just going to pause here we're going to keep reading but just think listen to the similarities of the prophetic message that you heard from Ezekiel to Judah to what Peter is speaking to the church. Do you hear it? We've heard that story. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command. He brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. Then... He used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, hear this, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be 
destroyed. I'm, not, I'm, I'm going to keep reading, but this, we're pausing here for a minute because this is important, and this is not making light. I speak to all Jehovah's Witnesses with this scripture because you see in the Jehovah's Witness false faith, they think that only 144,000 people are going to heaven and everybody else is inherent in the earth. That's what they teach, and that's why there's people working and knocking on your doors because they're trying to earn their place on earth. I always point to the scripture, which is in their Bible, by the way, and I ask them, like, do you understand that you think you're going to be here? Do you know that God's burning this place up? Do you realize that your word says this? That God says he's reserving this earth that's been contaminated by sin to be consumed with fire and destroyed? Where are you going to be? See, when you listen to the false teachings, they don't ever measure up to God's word. All false teaching doesn't measure up to God's word. Let's stay in God's word for a minute. This is not a condemning of those in the Jehovah's Witness faith. I'm praying for God to redeem them and bring them to the truth. All right, but we need to see truth in God's word and what he says to us because this is God's word. And as we have already seen, he's good to his word and stuff happens like he says it will. So Peter's telling us there's going to be a day in the future. Guess where we are? 2,020 years later, maybe 1980 years later from him speaking this word. But listen to it. Let's go on. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago, and by his word and command, he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used water to destroy the ancient world in mighty flood. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. Thank you, God. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. (laughs) But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. God's good to his word, man. Church, we've seen God is proven throughout history that he is good to his word. He has called you and I to a life of obedience, to share his redemptive message with the world around us because there is a day of reckoning coming. There is a day of reckoning coming, church. Don't think, well, it may be way out there. I don't know when it is. I'm not telling you it's today. I'm not telling you it's in my lifetime. All I know is this. God's not in a hurry with anything, but he's good to his word. Action steps time. Have you repented of your sin and accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Are you living a life of obedience to the Lord? Listen, before you answer that or start to justify things, hear me out. We are not asking you to measure up to the standard of a church, of a people, your own ideologies, or anything like this. This is all we're asking. Do you know what God is asking you in your life of living for Him and serving Him? And are you doing it? If you're not, you must repent and begin to live in obedience. Because God promised us that he will judge disobedience. That's God's word. Who in your life do you need to share the good news with? The last thing I want to say with you in this message today before we close is this. We cannot share messages of false hope, nor can we share messages of false judgment. Stick to God's word. During this pandemic... I have received from some of you and other people that are not part of our church all kinds of conspiracy theories, prophetic things, and all that stuff. Look, I am not making light of anything. I just need you to hear me. When you look back in history and you see the prophets of Judah, remember what was going on. God said, Ezekiel, speak to them and tell them, no more will those false prophets and their fluffy messages be okay. There were people all the way up till the day King Nebuchadnezzar 
walked through the gates to destroy everything. There were false prophets telling the people, you're going to be okay. God's going to protect us. We have his name. We've got his temple. False prophets were preaching messages of false security. All the way up to the day of judgment. In God's word, he talks about this right here. As I share with you, I want you to hear me. It's not just messages of false hope, but messages of false judgment. And we must be careful about what we say is prophetically good or bad. We must protect ourselves and the people around us that we are not promoting a prophetic message from God that is not a message from God. Here's what I will share with you from my heart as your pastor. I am very careful about what I speak to you. I'm going to tell you right now I'm being very careful about this. Stick to God's word. Not your interpretation of it. Not somebody else's. Here's what God has actually asked all of us to do. Share the good news of Jesus Christ. That they need Him. The only hope they have is Jesus. And no matter if judgment comes in this life that falls upon our country and our nation, one way or the other, judgment's coming. And God's the one that's bringing the judgment. I want everybody to understand this. God's in control. Somehow the church kind of like gets lost in the chaos of craziness of culture. And we start attributing power and, I mean, giving credit to things that are happening out there that it's like as if God's like lost his ability to be God. He's God, man. He's got a plan. God's good to his word. God's calling us to repent. If we don't repent as a nation, the nation will fall. Come on. It's not about me and you. It's not about what we think. It's God. God says it's going to happen. We need to wake up. It's about us serving Him faithfully. Man, I want His blessing. How about you? I want the good blessing, not the judgment blessing. But unless we get aligned with Him and His Word, the other one's coming. And someday we're going to be judged. we got to be living in obedience. Let's end this thing. I'm already after. There's an altar here. If you need to come and repent, please do so. Don't leave here without it. If you don't know Jesus, come and, and meet him. Those of you that are home in your cars, wherever you are, I just want you to know that God is calling you. And he's calling you to this place that you might have a real and honest and real purpose in your life of a relationship with him. He loves you. He's amazing. So we're just going to pause here for a moment. Fathers, we just thank you. God, we have seen the truth of your word, that you are good to your word. You are God. You are God. You're not the God I want to create in my own mind. You are God. And so, Lord, we trust you. We trust you. Holy Spirit, reveal the places of our disobedience. Convict us that we might be the people of God. We ask a blessing, God. Not a curse. We're asking for blessing. We're asking for mercy. We're asking for grace. We ask you to move in this city of Tucson and through our nation. God, we need you. We thank you for all you do, God. You're amazing.